0: Hi, everyone. Before we jump in, just a word from the bosses here at Real Vision. We know things are difficult out there. So to stay true to our mission to help investors, we've reduced the price of a subscription to Real Vision essential to just $99 and plus tier to just over $400. That offer is going to be good until the end of October. So go ahead and jump on it. All right. Let's get to the show. Are the bulls back in charge? That's the question today. Joining me is Mark Ritchie, the second manager of RTM3 and analyst at Minerverney Private Access. Hi, Mark.
1: Hey, Maggie. Thanks for having me back. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, good to see you too. And uh, boy, we have equities really moving three days in a row. They've been rallying. Uh, And not only that, but the advance today really strengthened as the day went on, which was interesting. What's going on underneath the hood here? What do you see happening?
1: Okay, great question. And you know where to start is really the other question. Let's back up a little bit. I think it was the last time I was on was maybe late August. And if you look at what the market did, and then I'd mentioned that you know the 200-day moving average historically is something you want to look at when in the context of a bear market. And I use the description, I think, that that tends to keep the lid on these bear market rallies. And at that point, if you remember, we had just sort of failed at the declining two hundred. The market was starting to get wobbly. And I was saying that, hey, you know the bears have you know everything they want, plus the kitchen sink here to really push the market lower. And that, you know, if you were bearish, you're going to want to see the markets uh, retest, if not, take out the lows convincingly. Well, here we are, you know, six or so weeks later. It's kind of exactly what took place. And frankly, you know, if I, was, if I was bearish then, you know, I was sort of saying we're in no man's land. Mm-hmm. And now it's like we've kind of come down, we've bounced convincingly, and we're like in reverse no man's land, if you will. A um, couple things, though, to mention, you know, when we got down to those lows, we made new lows on all the major indices with really the exception of the Russell. The Russell just mm-hmm. sort of undercut. Uh, I take that as a slight positive. And, and listen, I always want to keep an open mind and look at both sides. So let, let's just take a look, you know, if you will, on what are some potential positive developments. One was what I just mentioned in the small caps. And to me, the small caps are just always a good uh, proxy for where is the riskiest part of the market trading, meaning, you know, when managers want to take risk, they often go to that smaller cap area. Mm. Well, It didn't make meaningful new lows, so that's a slight positive. Uh, The other would be the NASDAQ. Uh, If you'll remember, Maggie, we were talking about this as early, I think, as last summer, but certainly last fall, that one of the big keys for us at Minervini Private Access and at RTM, I was saying, look, the NASDAQ was continuing to make new highs as the percentage of stocks above the 200-day within the NASDAQ was not confirming. So you had this breadth divergence where the index is making new highs, where the components were going the wrong way, saying that the, the herd was essentially weakening. And by the time we got into the end of the year, it was so bad. I was basically kind of saying, look, I don't see how we don't correct this either by some sideways action where things have to sort of reset. Now, of course, we know what happened subsequent to that. Well, in this last pullback, NASDAQ was making new lows but the the percentage of stocks within within the composite didn't confirm. So that was a bullish divergence. So sort of the same thing I was watching that gave me pause 12 to 18 months ago is now signaling, hey, uh, at least right now, we didn't have this meaningful firepower to take us to sort of meaningful new lows. And if you look at even the the worst of the indexes really only undercut the old lows by a few percentage points. Hmm. Meanwhile... Uh, things got real bearish in terms of sentiment, positioning, and all those types of things. So, you sort of had this perfect cocktail of an oversold, at least technical condition, plus the seasonality. You know, September, October, you know, early October tends to be quite weak. Uh, I think everything was sort of teed up for at least a good, healthy gut check for the bears, Mm -hmm. and we didn't have more than I think three or four consecutive sessions where the market was able to even close higher for 2 months so that's that's pretty oversold and now we're looking at you know 7 8 days since that reversal on October 17th which was pretty convincing so where would you like to go from there? Uh, yeah,
0: so that, that that thank you for that, Mark, because you really laid a, a really fantastic sort of background of technically what you've been looking at and setting up. And for those who join us every day, uh, what you're talking about, the Russell, same thing Ms. Schneider was talking about yesterday, the exact same thing she was watching on that chart and that being a really interesting sort of indicator to her as well. So I think it's going to be really important for all of us to kind of put that on our dashboard. So I guess now that we understand understand why we're sort of seeing this um, and just it was, you know, exhaustion, both it sounds like from a sentiment point of view and also from a technical point of view, things falling in line for the, for us to see a turn. We all want to know, right, what to do from here. Um, and we have a question from Naomi, I guess. Um, is, is this a bear market rally? What are you forecasting for turning points in the Nasdaq and S&P? Is this a meaningful turn in sentiment? So I don't think it sounds like we don't know yet, but what should we be looking for? What will you be looking for now from this point to figure out whether this is something more substantial or whether this is just you know, another blip on the chart, another short term bear bounce?
1: Yeah, great question. And obviously, this is the question everybody wants to know. Uh, and And this is, you know, we're I'm looking all the time for changes in character. And clues to sort of tip us off one way or the other. So first thing I would say is we had a valid follow-through day last Friday. Um, Mentioned that before. It's not my rules. This is the old sort of William O'Neill can slim follow-through day, uh, which says the market has to close higher than 1% on an increase in volume four days after the low, meaning can't just be the immediate snapback. Now, the problem with those is they don't have the greatest historical record, uh, meaning if you just buy every follow-through day that's ever happened, uh, it, you're not guaranteed to be a winner. However, every bull market advance starts with one. So it's sort of like the way I think about it is the old, remember the old rule in geometry, you know, all, all, uh, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. I'm probably going to get this backward. Uh, you know, it's like the idea that every, every, every follow-through, every bull market has a follow-through day at the beginning, but not every follow-through day leads to a bull market. Why that's valuable information is because now I want to watch. But if you study historically, when those are met with immediate selling or distribution, they're 80 to 90 percent failure prone. It means this isn't the one you're looking for. So if you look so far, uh, we haven't seen much distribution, but uh, following Friday, we haven't seen any. We've actually seen more accumulation. That's a positive sign. It would at least tell me that this rally may have more to go. But think of Whenever you have buying power, and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, I think two weeks ago, saying it almost felt like there was a slug fest going on in and around the lows where the bulls would have one up day where it looked like there was some good breath, and then immediately they'd have a they're a big down day. So it's almost like they're two fighters just trading you know, haymakers mm-hmm. back and forth. Well, right now, the bulls, at least in the short run, look like they're in control. So the first thing I'd be looking for, um, you know, in the contrary, in, back in the in the bear camp would be to say if we get immediate heavy volume selling here, it's it's an obvious sign that there are institutions with lots more supply, meaning there's more stock for sale at these prices. Uh, furthermore, what I'm really looking for on the bullish side is do we get some type of a breadth thrust off these lows? It's a little early to tell. The two I, I like the most would be the old Marty's wag, uh, 10 day two to one. Uh, advanced decline, meaning you get a better than average two to one advanced decline ratio over a 10-day period. That is the equivalent of revving your engine all the way to the red line. Even if you take your foot off the gas, that momentum is going to continue to carry you further. The other one is the percentage of stocks above their 50-day moving average. When that hits 90%, it has a very good record. I've talked about those before prior on Real Vision. It's too early for those yet. But however, those are those would be two I'm looking for. Uh, And then, you know, the negative one, and if you're bearish, I would say, you know, wait for the distribution and then step in uh, or step back in sort of to to reload shorts, if you will. Mm.
0: Hey everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.
0: so yeah okay so so we've got a couple different first of all um ape is saying finally someone with something positive to say mark ritchie gets a
1: gold star
0: (laughs) mark mark is always going to be tactical right i mean uh, i think
1: i think it's important to add look i'll i'll say this i have not seen it this bearish in terms of just anecdotal the number of people on Any network, people you're talking to, man, it's really bad out there. I think I talked uh, with you about this last time, Maggie, Mm -hmm. that this is the most called for recession I've ever seen in my career. So, you know, from a contrarian standpoint and sentiment, I mean, just got really, really bearish. Uh, Sentiment measures are not great timing, you know, mechanisms and even certainly this anecdotal evidence. I mean, the percentage of macro guys out there who are bearish is the highest I've ever seen. I think Raul's probably the only guy I know that's not really bearish equities right here. So those make me contrarian bullish, where uh, if I start to see we get a breadth thrust and specifically then a number of leading stock groups really acting well and setting up, that's what's going to get me to go really aggressive from here. So I do think that's a valuable point to say, look, you don't. You don't have to just. You know, be end of the world bearish. I'm sure I'll get a bunch of comments. You know, about how I'm a moron for even uh, highlighting anything potentially constructive here. But I, I welcome that stuff as a contrarian. So I, I did want to make that point.
0: But I I wonder about that. First of all, it's so it's it's and it's easy to understand why it's confusing because Gandalf Gray uh, asking how much of this is actually sustainable given the lag in indicators being at least six to 12 months out? So he's giving voice to what you're talking about, right? About the recession, about worries about the recession that it could be severe, because we know the data lags and we know that there's gonna be pain for the labor market. You, You, I know, look more for the signals you're talking about in the charts than necessarily trying to game the fundamentals, right?
1: Well, you know, look, like I look at both, but you know, as I've said before, my default position is that the market is smarter than I am. Yeah. So I want to, I want to be the kind of the caboose and and take, you know, my cues that way. Uh, but what I'll say is this: if the market is looking out into the future, which it is, uh, you know, I I often say the market is looking three to six months out. Okay, so let's. Everybody's talking about when are they going to pivot, when are they going to pause, and when is the Fed you know, going to ease on monetary conditions or turn back on the QE spigots and all that kind of thing. Well, setting that aside, let's just say, for the sake of argument, is it possible the market is looking out three to six months saying the tightening cycle is over? Certainly possible. You have to at least entertain the possibility that that's what the market is telling you. Now, does that mean we just shoot higher? No. Does that mean that we don't have a bumpy road ahead of us? You know, as the market backs and fills, and then maybe we discount certain elements of a recession down the road. Well, certainly, um, I will also say this: if the Fed is going to continue to go 75 after 75 into 2023, I I don't think the lows are in. Uh, I, I think, you know, that it it's, doesn't take a genius to figure out if they're going to bludgeon. Continue with this forceful language and policy to boot. Uh, this is probably nothing more than another bear market rally that is eventually going to fade. But you gotta, you gotta have the other. You gotta, you gotta weigh both. I also mm-hmm. think there's a possibility we can talk about the election a little bit. But is it possible that the Fed is is acting maybe somewhat politically and going to soften its language after uh, the election, given how much pressure is on? Uh, potential folks uh, up for election and inflation and all those other things certainly possible so you again you just have to keep an open mind
0: yeah and this is why this is why inflation is one of our you know one of our pillars on make or break the series we're doing because it keeps all going back to that whether we see those prices come down um very interesting uh that you're talking about sort of trying to listen to the market mark because i noticed a couple of things today we had Mohamed Alarian, who'd been previously been talking about the economy going through the windshield, uh, today sounding a little bit like a, he's not ruling out a soft landing. Um, so so you've got some people in that camp starting to soften their language a little. And there was a great article that we had a conversation about. Um, uh, uh, it was from Numura. It was in a Bloomberg article. Options that pay off when the S&P falls another 10% have fallen dramatically. And there seems to be more focus on right tail crash up according to Nomura, because people are terrified of missing the big rally if they don't own enough underlying. Does it feel like this market can, can continue to move because so many people were bearish and all on the bearish side that you're going to have money managers chasing it now, especially as we go into year-end with performance?
1: That's certainly a possibility. Uh, you know, As far as you know, gauging... You know where are these sort of squeeze areas or levels within uh, market makers and option positions? That's not my area of specialty. Mm -hmm. I would be skeptical of the melt up scenario, as Mm -hmm. I you know generally, yeah, everybody's underperforming. When they're underperforming and they're down, you're more in uh, damage control, uh, you know, mode. So a a really sharp rally like that I think would be used for managers to lighten up at least on some of their bad inventory uh you know versus continuing to press on the gas. I think they would take that as a gift. you know yeah. if, if you're down big on the year and you could cut your losses in half, most managers would say please you know or uh, because that's going to save them from potential other redemptions. so, I mean, again, that's sort of anecdotal. I, I don't have a hard uh, opinion either way on that.
0: Yeah, but but it's worth pointing out because I think we're still, you know, as as many people have come through here, have talked about that sort of you've got that buy the dip mentality. Everyone's trying to look for the turn, um, even though there are a lot of headwinds out there. By the way, when we're talking about headwinds, we talked about you know the Fed and whether they'll relentlessly keep hammering away with those 75 basis points. We talked about the threat of recession. Um, earnings, Google out after the bell, for those of you who have it in front of your screen, looks like they missed on both revenue and, uh, and estimates. And that stock is down over 5% in after hours. And I think people were, you know, pessimistic going into it. So it looks like they even um, disappointed even with that in mind. So there are an awful lot of headwinds out there that we have to get through.
1: That's a good point, too. I'm glad you raised in terms of, you know, the, the mega cap. Uh, specific old mega cap growth leaders. Uh, the, I, I've made this point a few times on Twitter. If you look, you know the Apple, Google, uh, you know, the, the 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 Fang names that haven't cracked hard, um, Amazon to a degree. You know those are places, and and Tesla. I'd be watching those because I think if they if they really sell those off, that will that will be the indicator that you know markets are probably headed back lower, at least the indexes, because. There's such a, lar- a large component uh, of the averages, and I think that's where a lot of bulls have been trying to hide, uh, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, this is, and this is going to get interesting as we're in this this sort of, you know, uh, point where it's not clear whether this is going to be just a powerful bear market rally or whether this is a a more substantial turn in sentiment. Um, Nick Lawson, the CEO of Ocean Wall, had a really interesting conversation with Lee Robinson of Atlanta Wealth, um, who sees a lot of opportunity in this environment. Let's have a listen to what they said.
3: The best investors sit in cash for long periods of time. Mm. Now, some people can't do that because they have a cost of living, they're going to retire, but a lot of people, they're earning, or they've got a big pot of money, they can wait and they can predatorily pick things off. And so what I was saying to people today is there's suddenly a lot of opportunities and there's going to be more for the reasons I'll tell you about in a second, uh, over the next six to 12 months, be patient. Don't lock your money up for too long and be ready to go for these opportunities. And there's opportunities in debt. There are opportunities in equities globally. There are opportunities probably in the property market today, but there was none of these or very few of these Mm. last year. I'm seeing more distressed ideas today than at any point with a very possible exception of that first week in March 2020 and in early 09. There's been no period in the last 20 years where there's been so many interesting distressed ideas. And yet people's all, people, people come in Real Vision are all gloomy mm. and they're all unhappy. And from an investor's point of view, this is a great market.
0: That full interview, by the way, is available to our members on the website. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, Mark, curious to get your reaction. um, And I I have a feeling this might have a lot to do with what your time horizon is.
1: Right. And and I listened to the entire uh, interview, actually. It was quite good. And I'll I'll say, you know, his whole emphasis on the idea and value of cash, I think, is highly – Misunderstood and underrated. As you know, I've been saying that, look, cash is your friend uh, if you know how to use it properly. And you know his description though of of sort of the world right now is to say, look, if if you look at if, if anyone were told you a year ago this is where certain asset prices would be, the average person would potentially find that attractive. What they wouldn't know is that they were potentially going to be uh, a lot of pain. Uh, that they may take along the way in terms of getting from from there to here uh, and this is the value of cash um you know i always say it's a position and it's a huge advantage for the individual or smaller type investor and trader because you don't have a mandate mm. you don't have to play uh but everyone gets sucked in and lured into markets that are going higher or maybe valuations that you know they want to play fomo however you want to describe it but, you know, this is where especially, you know, a lot of institutions, mutual funds, even pension funds, hedge funds, they have to stay invested where individuals uh, do not. You you don't have to. And cash this year has been the only place to hide. Uh, I've been beating this drum really for a decade saying, you know, cash used properly is is your best friend. Well, this has been such a good environment for that, I think, regardless of your time frame. Now, he mentions you know, stop the, he, he talked about in the video, he, stop the buying the dip mentality and think out three or four years. Great idea. Uh, but even as a trader, if it's not working, don't, you don't have to play. E- in mm-hmm. either scenario, you know, you're a winner. I think there was a famous hedge fund manager. I can't remember which one, but one of their LPs once asked on a call, like, why are we paying you to hold some of our assets in cash? And he immediately responded, you're not, you're paying me to know when to hold your assets in cash. And, and this is really, you know, I I don't want to kick the dead horse of uh, risk parity again too much, but, you know, if you look at what has happened in that strategy this year, it is just a perfect example of why cash is superior to some of these other ideas of, well, I'll just always stay invested. For mm-hmm. example, if you look at, you know, I, I put a, out a, a, retweeted something that Bank of America put out saying that, you know, this is by far the worst year in the history of sort of the tracking of that strategy. And Maggie, you and I were talking about this four or five months ago saying it's bad. It's gotten worse. And the reason I want to highlight this, though, is because in terms of a risk management perspective, what has happened if you look at that chart? You have effectively wiped out five years of return this year. So another way of saying that, it's going to take you five to six years just to get back to new equity highs in that type of a strategy. Yeah. That is devastation uh, in, in my mind, and a really good example of why that is just not a good, you know, risk management type strategy. Nobody, I think eventually what's going to happen is people are going to, if they haven't already, are realizing you know what we thought was safe wasn't so. And we're going to have to rethink you know, the way we're allocating some of these assets, you know, towards those, those type of strategies. But again, The alternative is something like cash, where you're okay sitting on a portion or a large portion of your assets at valuations that don't make sense to you uh, or conditions that don't make sense to you, waiting for them to, to turn and change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.
0: by the way, uh, Nanemo Trader is how you pronounce the question from our viewer. Thank you for correcting me. I hope I got it at least closer this time. It's hard to tell when it's all when it's all jammed together. Um, but we appreciate your questions. Um, you know, it's interesting. We have another comment actually from Timothy on our site, um, which really speaks to this issue that you were just talking about. And he says, "Mark, are you really saying everyone is short the market?" Or are they just bearish? I am an R- IRA and speak to a lot of 401 investors, and they're all bearish. They know the market's down, but when they show me their portfolio, they are 100% invested in index funds. LOL.
1: Right. Well, and those are probably players. Well, I, I don't know. Obviously, uh, you know, if they have mandates that they have to be long, um, but generally, again, to my to my prior point. <laughs> The, the ability to be able to use cash allows you way more flexibility than tons of the other participants in the market. So a lot of the RIAs uh, or RIA type space, you know, they have mandates that say that they have to be invested a certain percent. So, yeah, they're bearish, but they they, they don't have another option yeah uh, so I think he's you, I
0: think he might be thinking that some of the investors though, are bearish, but they haven't done anything. They never reallocated, they never moved. they never upped sure. their cash. You know what I mean? They just sat through it because that, you know, had been the mo and, for the last you know, however many yeah. years, decades. And,
1: and for those who are still in the camp that we have yet to see the big purge, and by the way, that's very possible. I'm not saying i I'm not calling for the lows, uh, you know, or saying that. The bottom is absolutely in at this point. Um, it will be those types though that will put in the low. If it's true that, you know, there's a large preponderance of, of longs who have been lazy, have raised no cash, and have not thrown in the towel yet, it's when all of them finally puke everything out that we're probably gonna see that bigger whoosh down, um, you know, and put in some larger capitulatory type bottom.
0: Right. And some people think that might be linked to the labor market, right? If they're working and they lose their jobs, they'll have to liquidate their 401 or they'll have to make a move. And, you know, that's when you'll see that Um, again, which is why the recession question is so important. Um, Melson asking... Agree with Mark on political Fed, especially so close to midterms. Does he not think the longer these rallies persist and CPI and core inflation stay elevated, the Fed will be more forceful? Before you answer that, Mark, too, interesting tweet from Darius Dale that caught our eye earlier. And he said, uh, every time a company beats on earnings, they're contributing to an upside surprise in CPI. is, is good news bad news for the Fed is there some sort of you know feedback loop here that we need to be concerned about?
1: Certainly and look uh, you know it was mid to late summer I think when some of the fed, uh fed folks were saying you know disdainfully speaking about the market rally mm-hmm. uh, well you know earnings beats and those things are only gonna yeah potentially incentivize them to be more aggressive. Again, assuming that that is really the path that they're on. So, like I said before, if the Fed is going to be the one throwing cold water on on the equity rally party, uh, absolutely. Um, and this is where I think you just have to we have to take things you know, a bit at a time, uh, and you know, I'm not discounting anything. Uh, there are many smart people on both sides saying, "Look, the Fed can't keep going because liquidity's terrible, and we're going to see something break. And others are saying, you know, or that they're going to get the memo before it happens. And others saying, no, they're going to go until this thing really, really, uh, you know, there's sand in in every gear everywhere. Um, again, you know, if you're if you're holding a lot of cash, you can have an open mind and stay flexible in in either respect. And if you're Certainly a longer-term player. Then you know you're you're just looking at certain levels and trying to think multiple years out versus you know shorter term. I, you know I tend to be more shorter-term to intermediate. So mm-hmm. which is why I continue to be cautious because we haven't seen enough yet for me to to say that we're even going to have say a really strong cycl- cyclical snapback. I do think, like I said before, I mean today I think we close above the 50 on the Russell. We haven't even gotten there on the NASDAQ and the SP guys. Like, this mm. is, we're still, you know, in the context of an oversold market. We're, again, a little bit in no man's land and we're well, well below the declining 200 day moving average at this point. One other thing I'd say to, just to watch though is, you know, there's not a lot of leadership yet either in terms of groups. Mm. So, for people that know how I look at things, I'm always looking for what are the strongest groups in the market, meaning that are potentially going to lead the advance. And how, how do they stack up, historically speaking, in terms of some of the biggest winning uh, groups or areas in the stock market? Right now, the, the biggest group is obviously oil and gas. Uh, no big surprise there. Lots of folks have been talking about why. Uh, that is not historically the greatest uh, you know, leader of a robust market advance. And then it's sort of a mixed bag from there. There's select biotech. Uh, that is semi-favorable in my view, but you know, there's not enough. And then there's a lot of other sort of defensive, like regional banks, insurance companies, again, places where I think risk capital is looking to hide rather than to say, uh, you know, press on the gas.
0: Yeah, that that's great, Mark. So as I'm listening to you, my takeaway from this conversation, if we're thinking that we're sitting at a racetrack, you're you're kind of waving a yellow flag, right? You you see some positive things happening from a Fundamental standpoint, which may indicate this rally has, uh, you know, some legs at least, if not, maybe you know, something more substantial, but you don't have confirmation from things you really want to see, which is the Russell, which is a leadership group, which is uh, the 10 day two to one advance decline. There are things you need to see fall in place before you get super excited about this. So right now we're maybe like looking in a a more positive direction, but we're still in this sort of murky middle no man's land.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, to use a sports analogy, it's like I'm trying to play in the, you know, between the 20s. I'll leave the red zone to the other players. The more money is often lost trying to catch the absolute low or pick the absolute high. Uh, and at this point, you're absolutely right. I will say, though, that you know if the Fed is indeed even going on pause, I think the market is going to see it ahead of time. Yeah. So people that are saying, well, I'll just wait until the Fed restarts the QE engines, uh, you know, I'm not saying you're going to miss the entirety of the rally, but my my hunch is you're going to miss a big chunk of it. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to. At some point, I think they will. Uh, I will say that. You know, the timing, of course, I, I'm not sure. So, again, I, I'm very interested. By the way, we've got a Fed meeting shortly before the election. I do want to mention too. I've talked about a couple of these precedents before. So, as far as the Fed language in in the decision right before the election you know, if they hint, if they, again, soften the language, and they've gone both ways. I mean, Powell Mm -hmm. said he was going to be, you know, semi-data dependent when that was in June, market took off, and then a month and a half, two months later, flipped over. So again, not going to chalk that up to politics, but I'm not going to chalk that up to politics, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, talking out of both sides of his mouth. So if they start to, you know, hint that Maybe they go one more time or that type of a thing. I think the market is going to take that again as a net positive because they're looking out saying the worst of tightening is over. Now, it doesn't mean the economy is not going to be in potential big trouble. Uh, But I think there will be a reaction response. And the lows could potentially be in, and then we back and fill. Um, And then as far as the election is concerned, I've mentioned this before, but if we get a red wave, uh, the past precedents you want to look at are a 1982- uh, 1994, and 2010. Uh, both of those, it's only three samples, but in more recent history, I think they're at least valuable to take a look at. Excuse me, all three of those uh, had bullish outcomes, say three to six months later for the equities market.
0: All right, we, we, we got our marching orders. We know what we need to be looking at. Mark, always fantastic to up with you. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for watching. Uh, Andreas is going to be back with Darius tomorrow. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there.